talk about Ukraine. I I do. I've Tell been, me about <laughs> <it>. I've been <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh it's being invaded by Russia right now. Um I imagine most people are are aware of this. Uh and I've been following it, you know, pretty consistently since the beginning. Um maybe not as maybe more than most, but not as much as as some. Um but when I saw that the counteroffensive uh recently, because maybe just to give a brief overview, um Russia yes, invaded please. Ukraine. What was the date on that? I have the chart here. Uh, February 24th. So it's a little over six months now. Um, and basically, it didn't go well at first for Russia. It hasn't really gone well, period, <laughs> um, arguably. But they right. you know, did get a foothold into Ukraine early on. They kind of had to backtrack a bit. Uh Basically, over like the first month, there was a lot of back and forth a little bit. Um, and then Russia was forced to sort of retreat from the capital, uh, Kiev, and sort of reorient the strategy to a longer term kind of war. And mm-hmm. it turned into this kind of artillery slog between the two, uh, which Ukraine doesn't have a ton of artillery, but Ukraine, uh, Russia has a lot. Russia has a lot of artillery and tanks but not very many people. Uh, Ukraine has a lot of people, um, but is relying on the West to supply tanks and artillery and other equipment, um, which it's finally accumulated enough, basically, to do a counteroffensive uh, September, September 6th. And basically, since then, people are kind of uh, surprised at how uh, successful this counteroffensive has been. They're um, forcing Russia back quite a bit. Uh, they, uh, what is it, recaptured? I don't know what it is now, but what is it, over a thousand square kilometers of roughly like a Rhode Island's worth of territory back? Um, wow. it's probably at this point. Yeah, it's been pretty rapid. And a total reversal, because basically Russia was very, very, very slowly making gains. I think Mm -hmm. somebody predicted that at the current rate or at the rate at the time that Russia was making advances, the war should end sometime in about 2100. Oh, my uh, God. About 40 million casualties. So, you know, it was like, how long can this go on? Um, And Russia has not formally declared war on Ukraine, so they haven't been able to mobilize their army. So that's part of their their manpower issue. Oh, uh, interesting. Apparently, they are now, um, there's enough pressure on Russia now to where they have mobilized uh, recently, in the past couple of days, about 300,000 of their reserve troops. Wow. I don't know what sort of political gymnastics uh, had to happen, you know, for them to do that without officially declaring right. war on Ukraine. But uh, that's happened, and it's sort of escalating things a little bit. But um, that may be sort of background. You know, Ukraine's making advances, and everybody is kind of excited, uh, at least in the West. And, you know, there's still a sense that there is, you know, a lot. uh, It's not going to just be over overnight, right? Right. Um, There's even been some talks about possible peace talks in the near future, but I'm not sure 
Uh, I have not, I'm not fresh uh, within the last day or two on the news. <clears throat> but, yeah, me neither. Uh, actually, my partner Megan um, is really into the stock market. Uh, uh. It's been following some astrologers who uh, use astrology in the stock market, which I guess has a long precedence. I guess JP Morgan said that um, millionaires, what did he say? I don't remember the quote, but basically said that, you know, millionaires do this or whatever, and billionaires use astrology to trade really? in the stock so, uh, Yeah. Huh. Yep. So uh, it's pretty interesting. I've been learning uh, quite a bit from her. But anyway, somebody, I guess, who had done some research um, said that about 80 something percent of all moves that occur on a Mercury retrograde uh, unlike a mercury station to retrograde uh reverse by the end of the retrograde cycle so interesting you know thinking about it in terms of that and just how much it coincided with the mercury station uh i'm you know i can't help but be a little skeptical or just mostly i'm taking a like a let's see approach you know yeah for sure see what happens um, but like most offensives generally in military terms and probably likely at some point with Ukraine because they're, you know, they have limitations on their equipment. Um, they're relying almost entirely on Western imports. Uh, right. and at some point the momentum is going to peter out. Uh, usually, you know, offensives don't just continue indefinitely. Uh, they, at some point, you know, you have to you outrun your logistic supply line, you know, you have to stop and you have to regroup your forces. Um, and we don't know, you know, what Russia is going to do to counter it. Uh, there's some speculations. Some are scarier than others, but basically to the degree that this is tied to the Mercury retrograde, um, you know, one would expect something to shift, you know, the momentum to shift. Right. Uh, about when it stations direct, which do you know off the top of your head when what the date is on that? I can look that up in Astro Gold. So the next station is going to be October second. October second. Mm-hmm. In yeah, uh, so that's about what eleven days, ten days. Um, yeah, thirty days has September, so eight plus two, ten days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I mean, it can go a lot of different ways. It doesn't seem highly probable that Russia has, you know, the resources immediately to, like, reverse the gains that Ukraine has made. Right. But I would expect maybe the momentum to peter out at some point, but I I really don't know. I, um, again, I'm I'm speculating and I'm trying to treat this as much as, you know, it maybe sounds messed up, but I, I... I can't help it. I'm an opportunity to learn a little bit. Uh, yeah. Cause it's a thing that's happening and I can't change that it's happening. Um, but I can, I can observe and see what happens and see how things correlate. Uh, but it was actually interesting. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about the inception for the war. Yeah, that would be interesting. Let me pull up that chart. Because it gets, I mean, 
you're talking about like an inception for an event, you know, you would think that like when the event visibly starts is probably when you want to cast the chart for. Right. Granted, you know, and I haven't looked actually at the um, Crimea, the invasion of Crimea chart. Oh, but, that and, would be interesting you know, too. That one's more influential. I don't, I don't know. Cause uh, I did like a bit of a quick write up for, um, what the inception seemed to be describing uh, using uh, an astrologer, Byzantine astrologer named uh, Theophilus of Edessa, and it's an eighth century astrologer. And he did, wrote a whole book um, on military inceptions, basically how to win wars uh, using astrology. Oh, wow. And, and he actually had like hands on experience. He was, uh, he was from was well, Byzantine Rome, but he worked for the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire and basically was an active, you know, consulting astrologer for the generals of the Ottoman Empire. So he was like applying these techniques and you know a little bit about the Ottoman Empire, like if you fuck up, you're gonna get your head cut off. So right. stakes were high for him. <laughs> so it's interesting <laughs> that it, this must have worked to some degree for him. Now I haven't like mastered the text, but using some of the the basics um, that I've gleaned uh, with this inception, which is for February twenty fourth, uh, twenty twenty two, uh, Moscow, Russia, at five fifty five a.m. And I think officially, I think Theophilus says that you you know for the beginning of a campaign, you want to cast it for where the army is, but like there isn't you know it doesn't work that way anymore like we don't have like one yeah. army that we send in and you know it's a, a front and it's a whole geographic region so right. it sort of made sense to me to go with like the announcement of the, the campaign um yeah that makes sense first missile was launched shortly after his speech but you get an interesting chart because you get a I was going to say that a, a couple of things. The first one is that because we're talking about Ukraine, it's probably a good idea to um, clarify that the astrologer uh, Theophilus is from Edessa, not Odessa, Ukraine. Because when I heard that, I was yes. like, wait, he's a, he's an ancient Ukrainian astrologer. This is even better. Oh, yeah. he's, from, yeah, no. he's from yeah. Edessa. Um, and the second thing that I was going to say was yeah. that... Odessa. Um, <laughs> The second thing I was going to say is that um, even though this might not be exactly where the military was, and you raise a really good point about militaries being dispersed, it's possible that because this is where um, Putin was, this might be mm -hmm. the view of the war kind of from Putin's perspective, which I think would be really interesting. It might be interesting to compare mm -hmm. like ah. what was going on at that moment um, from you know Moscow versus where president Zelensky is or was at the time. Yeah. Wow. This is actually pretty nuts too. Um, I'm just, I just pulled up the Ukrainian chart, mm -hmm. uh, national birth chart. Just for oh. 24 August, 1991 Kiev at uh, 6 PM. That'd be a perfect time, but uh, it has the almost, I think the exact same ascendant uh, 16 Capricorn as the beginning of the war. Yeah, <laughs> that's weird. Uh, the ascendant for the the war inception is 16 degrees Capricorn. 
It's weird to me that this country is younger than I am. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is weird. That's a, that's a thing. It's, uh, we were both born, I think, right before the, the fall of the Soviet Union. I was I was born in 85, so a couple years before, but Idiot. I remember when the wall fell. Yeah, I don't. I was not conscious enough at the time to remember the actual wall falling. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, I know I mentioned to you that I got my hands on a copy of 36 Faces uh, by Austin Kopic. Which is, uh, you did not tell me that, Jealous. Um, I didn't? I think that maybe I did. You oh, didn't? No. Well, now the world knows, I guess. But it is... It is a. <laughs> the whole world, the whole what fifty people that listen to this podcast, <laughs> um, uh, it's an amazing book. Oh my god, I'm in love with it. Uh, and I've been going through it kind of over and over again. But I was actually just reading about this Deccan of Capricorn today, uh, the second Deccan of Capricorn, where the Ascendant is, and it's about um, trying to build things, projects uh, that are kind of impossible. Like, um, interesting. Like, basically, projects that, yeah, <laughs> they're sort of too big to be realized, uh, fully. So it seems kind of relevant for, for what's happening with Russia. You think of the ascendant as the initiator of of the action. <clears throat> uh, it's kind of like, I just blanked out for a second. Um, <laughs> and most people would agree that his plan uh, was not realistic. Uh, he's hoping to invade Ukraine real quick, this nation of, what, 60 million people, and just sort of topple the government and establish a puppet government and, you know, slowly annex the country, uh, which in retrospect is absurd. Uh, I mean, right. knowing what we know now, you know, it's just, it's pretty ridiculous to think that, that he could have pulled that off. Um but he did. And I think that's still kind of what he's shooting for and almost what he has to do in order to justify the catastrophe that the war has represented for, for both Russia and Ukraine. Right. But um, it's an interesting element. But then you think Ukraine has that same ascendant. Yeah. And it's sort of, um, I don't know. I don't know what that's suggesting. <laughs> it's like I just saw it now, so occurring to me but if you look at was it the ukrainian chart i'm sorry i'm bouncing around here because i'm you're fine you're fine pieces together but yeah uh ukrainian birth chart is 16 degrees capricorn rising with the north node exactly on the ascendant uh, right there with neptune <laughs> um and uranus and they're all in that decan and yeah it just seemed to be uh, i have neptune in, in the second decan of, of capricorn and, you know, I definitely have some impossible dreams. I've slowly become more realistic about them. But <laughs> I don't know, there's something about Neptune in that Deccan that seems especially prone to emphasizing that theme. Um, Interesting. It's one of the Deccans, too, deeply tied with hubris as well. <sighs> Which makes more obvious sense for the inception of the war. Like, yeah, we're Russia. We're the shit. And we can just take over to this country. And it's like, right. ah, no. No, not so much, not so quick. 
Um, but I don't know what that means for Ukraine. I don't know, I guess, enough about the national history uh, over the last, what, 30 years? Yeah, I feel like I should know more about the history of Ukraine. Um, one of my friends in high school was a refugee from Ukraine, but she never, ever, ever wanted to talk about it. Probably for yeah. a good reason. Yeah, not a, um, a pretty time. I actually, my first like, major girlfriend in high school was from Russia. Um, which she was, her and her family in many ways were kind of victims of the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, it was not a pretty, pretty time to be in Eastern Europe. No. But, um, any, anyway, where, where was it going? <laughs> There's so many pieces to put together. Uh, right. Um, I'm, I'm noticing something interesting, which is that the, the descendant of the um, the Ukrainian war, Russo-Ukrainian war chart, um, the initiation <clears throat> of the conflict, is um, the descendant is exactly conjunct the South Node, and so like that descendant would be Ukraine. And, you know, thinking about this from an evolutionary perspective, I feel like I'm always jumping back to the nodes and being like, we have to talk about the nodes. Um, I don't think the North Node is in the, the, the war chart. It's in, it's in the national chart of Ukraine. Well, I mean, they would both have nodes. Well, Um, yeah, I'm just saying uh, (laughs) in, in, in the Russo-Ukrainian war chart, the node is on the IC actually. That's interesting. Uh, the South Node's on the MC and the North Node's on the IC. But in the Ukrainian national chart, the South Node is on the descendant and the North Node is on the ascendant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm doing, I'm being confusing. I'm doing a bit of sinistry. Um, oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Got, gotcha. Oh, yeah. I gotcha so, now. Okay. So the descendant of the war chart is almost exactly, it's within two degrees, conjunct Ukraine South Node. And they're both in Cancer, 16 mm-hmm. degrees for the Descendant and 18 degrees for the South Node. And, you know, the South Node is the past. And um, mm-hmm. it's a past that you want to get away from. And, um, uh, you know, Cancer, one of the archetypes of Cancer is the mother. And so it's like the 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 enemy here is like, it's like you're running away from mom. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with the moon, too. Um is it has that that warm motherly quality, but it yeah. inherently contains the archetype of the the all devouring, smothering mother. Yes, which, uh, Mother Russia in some ways is, is kind of <laughs> kind of that. She's coming back. She's like, no, you're not ready to grow up. Yeah, Get back, Get back in the basement. <laughs> the basement, huh? Yeah, or you know, where wherever. I, I imagine Ukraine at this point is probably going to be put in, in Russia's basement. Yeah, for they sure. Don't get their own, you know, they don't get a nice room uh, above ground yet because the Russia's going to be pissed if they are successful in annexing, which again, I'm not trying to make big solid predictions here, but there's a few things that um, about the astrology that, you know, again, not a master of this, but there's like uh, the inception chart, right? Um, which I should maybe lay out a couple basic rules is that in an inception, the initiator of the action is the first house. Uh, and then in a war, it's basically the, the declarer of the war. 
um, the aggressing, aggressive army. Um, in the seventh house would be the defending army, the, the one who's being invaded. So that would be Ukraine. And the second house uh, describes allies as well as resources. You'd think the 11th, right? But it's primarily the second in War Inceptions. And likewise with the eighth. Um, and then, so with Russia, uh, looking at like the Venus-Mars conjunction on the ascent, um, that's like rising in the chart, because Venus is right before that conjunction went exact uh, back in February. And Venus is at 21 degrees. Mars is at 22 degrees Capricorn. Um, these ends at 16. So they're in the process of rising. And the opposite of Edessa would have called that quite favorable, especially in a night chart with an exalted Mars and Capricorn. And then benefic Venus, which uh, in war basically means booty. It means uh, victory. Interesting. So, you know, having those two together can be kind of awesome in a chart, an uh, exception for astrology. You'd probably, if I was picking, if I was going to pick, like if I was going to declare war on someone, I would probably put that, those two on the ascendant. The fact that they're about to make a conjunction with Pluto is a little more of a, uh, puts a twist on things, <laughs> you know. Right. It, it's, it's, in my mind, it's like the Theophilus didn't know about Pluto. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're still figuring out Pluto to a large degree. Right. Only known about it for less than 100 years now. About 90, so yeah. We don't know what, exactly what kind of wild twists um, that could point to. Uh, the ones that come to mind, I don't like very much. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it does sort of bring to mind that theme of the, you know, the possessed possessive mother a little bit or like that right all consuming kind of power you know wanting to reassimilate into a, a lost political structure um taken to the extreme but pluto doesn't i don't know i mean there's ways that pluto i don't like blanket assume that pluto's a malefic uh not inherently or not in the same way like maybe Mars and Saturn might be. It's not like a bit, but <laughs> it's, it's maybe. No. <laughs> but uh, actually, I think of somebody on Instagram recently presented, uh, just suggested the idea that all outer planets are functionally malefic because they deal with things that are outside um, of our general understanding. So they're generally things that we have to grapple with. They're sort of difficult to handle. Yeah, so, for sure. That, that makes sense to me. But I guess you got to put them in a different category. But um, yeah, so anyway, you have this kind of awesome first house for Russia in this chart. And then you look at maybe the condition of the seventh house, which there are no planets in it, but it's cancer. So presumably ruled by the moon, um, which is in the 12th house in Sagittarius, which uh, Theophilus would probably say not great. Yeah, self-undoing. Yeah, but I mean, is it undoing the first? Undermining the first house? That the 12th It's in the house of enemies, for sure. Um, and a lot, uh, one of my initial sort of reactions was like, hmm, maybe, you know, Russia will win 
but they're going to have a major insurgency on their hands. Because the moon... Oh, they definitely will if they win. I don't think that it yeah. takes any kind of prophecy to predict that. Ukraine is not going to go yeah. down easy. Mm-mm. I mean, and, we've seen um, that already. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the... the, the <laughs> Uh, but there's all there's a ton of different ways of looking at it too. Um, I mean, you have the moon in Sag; it's waning in light because uh, we got the sun in Pisces at five, so it's uh, it's just going into the the last quarter phase, which not the strongest place for the moon, uh, generally speaking. It's generally sort of reducing and, and taking something away. You know, who it's taking something away from is maybe a little more of an open question, but it's also ruled by Jupiter in Pisces, which is in the third house of the chart, uh, which would make it cadent, which is not like the strongest place for Jupiter, but it's a very dignified Jupiter. Um, so it's kind of supported in a way that's like strong, but not like uh outwardly powerful you know which makes sense for the ukrainian army you know it's taken time to build up the resources and then you think about um the fact that the ascendant in this chart would be ruled by saturn in the second house which you know it's dignified saturn which just adds to the whole dignity of it but then you think that right. saturn in a night chart um and when I think about like night chart Saturn, it is in maybe in a really dignified position. I, I tend to think of like harsh and and maybe right uh, to some degree, or like has backing by social structure in some way, but not necessarily geared towards your benefit all the time. Which in this case, and and in the House of Allies, even. Uh, a lot of themes come up. Is it like starting the war literally um, ostracized Russia from the political international community? Like they're they're pariahs now. Right. Um, but on another angle, they are also sort of collecting allies amongst the the outcasts of um, of the world, which is not even maybe an accurate term. But they are the the people who have not benefited from the Western political order. Uh, there are people who actually, you know, want to see that, that order shift uh, towards their, their faith. So thinking about like China um, as being one who, who would like to see, you know, the U S re- reduced in power um, out of sex Saturn. Like you can see how, you know, <laughs> out of sex Saturn and Aquarius, it just, makes intuitive sense to me how that could be drawing drawing away a little bit on the allies but also possibly creating something solid and enduring long term which uh one of the things that they talked about and i'm sorry i'm just talking and talking but one of the uh it's interesting i think so anyway um one of the big themes or geez what surprised everybody about the start of the Ukrainian war was that the EU ended up being really strengthened by it. It, it sort of regalvanized the idea of the EU and NATO, uh, which had been all kind of like 
you know, like, what are we doing here? Are we really in an alliance? Like, like they kind of needed an, uh, an enemy to sort of unify them. Right. So there's sort of this theme of like, yeah, unifying one's enemies. Um, but also, I don't know, like Saturn creates hard boundaries between things. So it, it's kind of like dividing the world. Right. In a way that's kind of scary. Um, I mean, I'm not, uh, my plan is not to to be a fear monger in this case. Oh, of course um, not. But maybe to end my rant for a second, uh, one other note I wanted to add that I only recently started thinking about differently because uh, an astrologer friend of mine who, <clears throat> uh, who I thought of as, as being pretty hardcore traditional for a long time switched over to Placidius or using Placidius and whole sign houses. And, really? Uh, give me a good explanation for it. And it made sense to me. So I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll consider this. But um, you basically use the quadrant house system to assess kind of the strength of a planet, but also maybe the subjective perspective uh, on on the experience of it, which I know that's a popular way to use psychological. Right. Um, but if you view things from that angle, the moon, uh, which rules the seventh house, is kind of angular, actually, because the midheaven's at 27 Scorpio. Right. Uh, it means the midheaven is approaching the moon about 10 degrees away. And while the moon is in the 12th house, um, by quadrant, it's angular. Mm-hmm. In probably the 10th house, actually, I haven't looked at it, but I'm sort of curious to see if it actually is in the 10th. Presumably it is. That would be a really tiny 10th house. Yeah, I can pull up this chart and Placid is pretty it's, easily. It probably looks really weird on Placidius because the midheaven and the ascendant are what, 45 degrees from each other. Yeah, so in Placidus, the distance between the, oh my goodness, the midheaven, which in Placidus <laughs> is the 10th house cusp, is at 27 degrees of Scorpio, and the cusp yeah. of the 11th house is at 14 degrees of Sagittarius. Ah, so, yeah, so the moon like would be in the 10th. Half a degree, yeah. Yep, the moon's in the 10th. So arguably using actually Odessa's... Um, rules some degree the ruler of the seventh would be in a stronger position it would be in an overcoming kind of position right um with the first house ah but then when you think that it's in the 12th and it's doing so in like a undermining kind of way or like a a more of a slower slower way but also in a way that uh for ukraine i mean they're gonna be screwed for a long time Um, right it's going to take so long for their economy to recover after this, but they're also, you know, sort of uh, realizing a new national identity. Out mm-hmm. of it too. Uh, there's a lot of like pride and, um, and unity that's coming out of, of Ukraine, which I guess we'll see what the long-term of that is. But and yeah. A lot of people who had no idea pretty much anything about Ukraine, um, are, are suddenly much more, even though the news isn't reporting on it anymore, like you say Ukraine, and people who, you know, were too young to remember the Cold War, or um, just haven't really been paying attention, this this has really raised awareness, at least in the United States, of 
of Ukraine and its issues. And I don't think that's going to be likely to go away anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of fallen out of fashion a little bit, like the original craze, but right. surprisingly still like relevant to a lot of people. Was it a, was driving by a city, what do you call those things? City, uh, you know, what like the town hall is and the courthouses, um, mm. civic center. Yeah. And there was a Ukraine flag along with like the, the U.S. flag. Oh, so, oh, that's so nice. It's, it's, it's hip. It's hip to support Ukraine right now. <laughs> I was uh, looking at that Pluto in the first house, and one of the issues that um, at least Democracy Now! has been reporting on quite a lot is um, what's going on with all of the nuclear reactors in Ukraine. And for a yes. while there, we were concerned about, you know, our are they going to mess with Chernobyl? Are they going to cause other reactors to blow up? Cause there are like a lot of nuclear reactors in Ukraine. And I think that maybe one of the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest reactor in Europe is in Ukraine. So mm-hmm. everybody is really concerned about that. So I, while we were talking, I pulled up the chart for the moment when the test that caused the meltdown at Chernobyl um, oh yeah. When that yeah. officially began. And I was expecting there to be some kind of um connection between the Plutos and those charts. And and I found out that I was wrong about that, but um Jupiter is going through almost an exact um oh, it's going to be going through a no, no, no. So at at the time that the war started. Jupiter was at 12 degrees of Pisces. And when the nuclear test began in Chernobyl, it was at 14 degrees of Pisces. So Jupiter is going through a a return since the Chernobyl test began, Mm. which means that it has most, almost definitely the, the Jupiter return was exact at some point between now and when, when the war started, because of course now Jupiter's in Aries, but mm. they were only two degrees apart and Jupiter was applying. So there was a, uh, Hey, I'm just going by Cause you showed me the chart before. Um, and there was a Taurus Scorpio eclipse, right? Ah, uh, I'm remembering that right. I think the moon was in Scorpio. Um, the sun was in Taurus. I'm having the hardest time reading Biowell charts for some reason. Uh, So the moon Mm. in the Chernobyl chart was at 24 degrees of Scorpio. Yep. And the south node was at 26 degrees of Scorpio. Um, Oh, crap. That's a nodal return, too. That's uh, the inception chart. That's exact nodal return. Oh, boy. I don't like that. (laughs) I'm trying not to, like, read heavily into the the nuclear component because... That's it's so unthinkable, and so it is terrifying. Uh, there's a couple other things I, d- I don't love, um, like the U.S. chart. I think Mars is going to go retrograde on the U.S. Uranus, I believe. Oh joy! Mars had uh, the U.S. chart. Simply chart is Mars in Gemini, right? Yes. And I can't remember how it's hitting the natal Mars for the U.S., but I'm not in love with that, and. Uh, Mars is going to station retrograde on Zelensky's ascendant 
fairly close. I think it's a sentence at like 21 Gemini. Um, oh my goodness. Mars going to station at 25. So close. It's not like that precise, you know, whoa hit, but it's like, eh, you know, because mm-hmm. he's a day chart. You don't necessarily, you know, love having Mars in the ascendant. In a day no. chart. <clears throat> but then when you're thinking about things in terms of, um, Theophilus's rules, like, you know, Mars is kind of in, in his hands to some degree. Um, right. It's generally a much more favorable from a military perspective to have Mars rising on the ascendant than in, on the descendant. Uh, that's you getting, getting your ass handed to you. <clears throat> so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't rightly, uh, know or want even to <laughs> make a really hard prediction on that. Um, because I guess I mean, to be uh, honest, like I, I, like most people in the West, I want to see Ukraine prevail. Right. Um, so I'm, you know, I have biases that probably get in the way of me interpreting things. But I'm also a, a kind of a, I'm not a hyper predictive astrologer to begin with. No, I think you've said I don't want to predict this at least five times in this episode so far. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I really don't. <laughs> unless I'm going to get credit. Unless I'm right and I get credit for it and it makes me famous or something. No. I... Heard right here on the Wandering Stars podcast. Yeah. Though I, well, no, that's that's a whole other digression. I don't want to get off on that track. Though we could because it's relevant right now because the queen, the queen died. Um, yes, she did. We talked about the royal family before a little bit. Quite and That's <laughs> my fault. Uh, <laughs> well, my partner was reading um, Nostradamus recently. Uh, really? It's interesting. And I didn't even realize how much Nostradamus was an astrologer. Like, he was primarily an astrologer. Oh, yeah. And yet I don't really hear astrologers talk about Nostradamus very much. Uh, apparently he wasn't a particularly good one, at least by the standards of the time. He was not good at calculating <laughs> charts. Uh, he would get things wrong a lot. Um, and he would often have clients, uh, get their chart calculated with someone else and then bring them the chart. Oh, um, do it themselves or something. Yeah. But it's so interesting. So he used astrology uh, software. It, basically. Yeah. Yeah. He outsourced the calculation like we do now. And oh yeah. Yeah, I, I guess the, you know, I was trying to get a sense of like how he did predictions and stuff. And uh, apparently by his own acclamation that they were mostly with astrology, primarily, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, do any weird like, uh, God, I can't remember the other things that was suggested, like staring into bowls of liquid of some kind or, or another. Scrying? Um, scrying yeah i think it was mainly just astrology like it wasn't like he had these crazy visions so much interesting but, uh yeah i guess he apparently nostradamus predicted the death of the queen uh pretty accurately uh really in 2022 and that what did he say they i'm don't remember exactly um but i think something like the queen, you know, will die, whatever. Cause he does them in the quantrains and like, they get sort of dated. And, uh, and what did he say that a man who 
never expected to be king will become king. Well, that's certainly true, isn't it? Yeah, though, I mean, I'm a, he expected to be king at some point, but then he probably was like, oh, it's never going to happen. Is she ever going to die? You know? Um, well, he never wanted but, to be king. So I think he went from not wanting to be king and wanting to find a way out of it to okay. going, all right. So I'm I'm getting yeah. older here, and uh, my mom is apparently immortal, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you probably know more about this stuff than I do. I'm not an expert on the ins and outs of the royal family. But I know he said that uh, the next year, which I guess would be 2023, the wife will be wronged in some way of the, of the great man, of the king of England, I guess. Oh, really? The, the people will overthrow him. And maybe that's when uh, he said that a man who never expected to be king will become king. Um, which has me wondering, because I offhand once said this about Prince Harry. Um, yeah. That his chart is so similar to Queen Elizabeth. Uh, and there's a lot about his chart compared to his brother, uh, Prince William. William. Yeah, okay. That's uh, a little more eminent in, in a lot of ways, but just the yeah. weird parallels with him and Queen Elizabeth and like, I don't know, it kind of got me thinking, you know, should I be trying to predict that Prince Harry will somehow become king? Because uh, that would probably make me really popular if I was right. <laughs> <laughs> it would certainly make you really popular, especially in the States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he is certainly not expected to be king. Um, no. And it would probably take a, a series of tragedies for that to happen. But I don't know. That's I believe that they no longer follow the rule that um, the the heir to the throne and his children have to fly in separate planes. I believe that was a, a rule for Ugh. quite a while. Um, so I, I am not predicting this and I don't want this to happen. But yeah, all it would take for Harry to become heir to the throne would be for something tragic to happen to the Cambridges. So, yeah, some kind of travel accident. Like that's, and I'm not wanting to give anyone ideas here, but um, yeah, that, that is the way that it could happen. Yeah, we might have the British secret. Well, whatever the British, what what is it? The Secret Service in England is called something else. Oh no! Isn't it Double O Seven? I don't remember what they have <laughs> a saying, but they may come in and assassinate us now. I, yeah, I don't know, and I don't, I don't. Prince George charts a little. It's not the best. It's not the worst. It could be a lot worse, but there's a thing with Prince George. I'm just going off memory, but he, um, like their whole family, has dignified moon and dignified or exalted Venus. Really? Uh, he has both in their detriment and fall. He has the moon in Capricorn um, and Venus <clears throat> in Virgo, which is oh. quite a contrast to like the, the family history. And then he has Mars in Cancer, and I'm thinking that it rules the Ascendant even. Um, but it's conjunct Jupiter in Cancer, which is nice. But, uh, you know, hard to say. And I'm not that I'm like a falls immediately mean bad things. Um I mean, it could mean that he becomes no, king. No, no. It's like, fuck this. This is stupid. Maybe we don't need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Because, yeah, I think it's in the ninth. I'd have to look at the chart again, but I already have like 10 charts open. Yeah, me too. I'm so glad that Astro Gold can handle it. But my understanding, and I can definitely be wrong about this, but um, from what I've read, the the royal family has definitely not told George at this point that he's heir to the throne, and they might not even raise him to assume that he's going to be king because they're they're estimating that the monarchy is not going to exist at that point. Um, I I might yeah. be wrong about that, but <clears throat> I I've read that several places, so. Maybe hmm. it's anti-royalist propaganda. Yeah. His younger brother actually has a really uh, much nicer chart. Which, again, and actually I wanted to make this point a while ago. Because uh, I've been looking at a lot of king charts, kings and queens and stuff. Right. And a lot of their charts are pretty gnarly. And really? it basically makes me think that like being a, being a king is not so awesome. <laughs> uh, it kind of sucks, especially for the royal family. I mean, they're basically slaves mm. to the government. Like they're they are government, they are a government institution, um, right? And they are uh, servants of of the state, mm-hmm. and they don't actually have any political power. They can't vote. Um, they can't even have political opinions. Mm-hmm. They're just they're as kind of figureheads. They're like uh, they're in kind of a gilded cage, you know. They, they I was get just thinking that. But yeah, their lives are very much not their own, which I think makes sense. They have a lot of money, um, but yeah, yeah. But But do they really have the freedom to spend it? I mean, I've I've read articles that have talked about how they have to dress, and like, not only Mm -hmm. is there a strict dress code, but like, they're limited in the types of fabrics that they can wear because they need to make sure that like they will hang properly and they're not going to get wrinkled in the car. And so like, you know, the, the range at which, which they can express themselves is incredibly small. And then it's even smaller for practical reasons. And so like, you know, obviously clothes aren't everything, but you know, when you're a figurehead and pretty much the only thing that you can do is stand out in public and look nice and you don't even have like, the ability to choose what you're going to wear. Like at least Melania Trump had that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They really don't have agency like at all, which actually in a lot of ways, uh, Prince William, I know he's a Sag rising with Jupiter and Scorpio. So in the 12th. Interesting. The thing that struck me about that, I was like, well, all the rulers of their first houses are in Scorpio interesting uh mm-hmm. secrets prince harry capricorn rising saturn in scorpio queen elizabeth capricorn rising with saturn in scorpio uh in the same degrees prince william sagittarius rising with jupiter in scorpio who's the king now again uh king charles 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 the third leo leo rising with sun in scorpio uh and that's all i have at the moment that's oh, coming to mind but there's uh, some Scorpio themes with this family that are very consistent. Yeah, that's like a freaking X-Files thing. Like, trust no one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, let me look at Prince um, George. Because if he has a Scorpio rising with Mars and Cancer, that would be interesting. Mm, it's mm-hmm. like a twist on the Scorpio theme. Yeah. 
but how do we even get off on this track? <laughs> were we talking about the Ukraine war? We uh, were yep, talking Scorpio about rising. the Ukraine war. Yes. Wow. He's a Scorpio rising. Mars and Cancer conjunct Jupiter and Cancer, which is uh, very helpful. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think this kid's going to want to be king. Well, his grandfather certainly didn't. Yeah. Did Prince oh, yeah. uh, Charles not want to be king? Oh, no, he did not want to be king at all. Mm. Um, he uh, he has very strong political opinions about things and is yeah. the kind of person who really wants to be able to make a difference. And he's put in a position where, like, theoretically, he's the head of the country, but he can't really, like you said, do anything. And a lot of the yeah, things that it, he was doing before, now that his mother is dead, he he can't really continue to do them anymore. He was doing a lot of stuff for the environment and um, helping entrepreneurs, I think. Um, and he's he's got to stop all that now because it's political opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think you have a lot more uh, ability to do stuff as not king. Yeah, and. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you're basically like an ornament for the state, and you know, yeah. a bunch of people love you, a bunch of people hate you, um, but you're just kind of there. It's like an ornament in a lot of ways, and a figurehead, and kind of emotional support, maybe <laughs> like a, a mm-hmm. for everyone. You know, it makes people feel good that the the king yeah. and queen is there. But it's kind of like the yeah. king in chess, like. The king in chess can't really yeah. do anything, and yet the entire game yeah. revolves around it. And like, it's almost it, like yeah. the prime minister is the queen. You know, the queen's the one who actually gets stuff done. I know, and has the freedom to move. Great things about chess is it? It's I feel like it's such a like a uh, covertly feminist game, or, or something like just chess. I love it. The most powerful piece is the queen. Yep, and and a lot of. Uh, like in tournaments, sometimes if you lose your queen early, like people will just bow out of the game. Wow! It's like, I yeah, love that. you just lost your queen embarrassingly, so just quit because uh, <laughs> you're you're making a fool of yourself at this point. Well, there's that saying: "The power behind the throne." Yeah, one well, that's yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't know. I don't think I'd want to be a king or a queen. It looks like it it sucks. Yeah. Even if you do have like absolute power, you're still um, kind of beholden to to it. Yeah. We talked about this a lot. We were doing science episodes on Astrology Hotline with uh, mm-hmm. Leo and Aquarius and that axis. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. She talks a lot about like that, like the 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 isolation, the separateness of royalty being right by being held above. You're being held separate. And, yeah. you know, it's also kind of a, uh, uh, it's a burden and it's something you're yoked to, you're saddled to it. Like you don't get to just leave. It's like you, mm-hmm. you leave when you die, when, when you die naturally or when someone kills you and takes the throne from you, like you don't, you know, you don't get to just quit though. Yeah. People have abdicated, but probably only when, yeah, kind of extreme circumstances. Right. I mean, Charles's great uncle did that famously mm-hmm, yeah. so that he could marry the woman he loved. Speaking of 
well, she didn't become a queen, but she could have maybe. Well, there's a whole thing with the the British family because they're the head of church. Is this basically the head of the Church of England is like right. probably their biggest role at this point? Um, mm-hmm. That's part of the issue is that like officially the head of the, the the Church of England is against divorce, right? And they um, a lot of, there's been some divorces going on with the, I was at Camilla the Prince. God, there's so many Anglo-Saxon names. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> King George King. What's his name? Harry. God damn. What? What's, who's the king now? Charles is king now. Charles. Okay. So King Charles, uh, his wife, well, Camilla. He was divorced from Prince Diana and remarried right. Camilla. And Camilla was a divorcee, I believe. Right. And there's a lot of scandal around their relationship because they were basically, he was basically, I think, cheating on Princess Diana with right. Camilla, um, which is, you know, very not Church of England, uh, which I think Nostradamus was indicating was what is going to be the issue around the king at this Interesting. time. Interesting. Is why, why possibly uh, um, another king may come that is, you know, never expected to, to be on the throne. But I really need to look at, actually, it's a study I want to do at some point, it's looking at uh, all the astrological language that are in Nostradamus's, what do you call them, quatrains, uh, in his, his prophecies? Because there's a ton of it, ton. They're, they all have, like, indications towards Mars with the lion or, or things like that. So that is such a fascinating study. You should totally do that. I plan to. It's, Time, gotta find time <laughs> for. I know exactly many what things you mean. To be interested in. Oh yeah, but uh, and I mean, he was an astrologer, so I'm wondering if he was just looking at like astrological alignments and like, oh, this looks like this, and you know, I don't know how he pulled all the little details out of it, but yeah, I don't know. I would like to study Nostradamus more. He has a gnarly chart. Does he really? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, what is it? He so Cancer on the fourth house. What does that make you rising? Aries. He's an Aries rising with oh. Mars conjunct Saturn and Jupiter also which probably helped. Mars conjunct Saturn and Cancer in the fourth, uh, ruling the ascendant, and then Moon and Scorpio in the eighth house, and then um, I had some Virgo shit. I can't remember now, but. But yeah, uh, a lot of fallen planets, which I have this theory about fallen planets and having something to do with prophecy. Uh, Interesting. I haven't eh? pieced it all together in my mind yet, but whenever you look at like depictions of like prophets um, or even spiritual advisors in like um, historical contexts, they were outcasts. Like they were, yeah, they lived elsewhere. They were weirdos and they <laughs> lived away from the community um so like the oracle uh oracle of delphi you know right the mountain, you know snorting whatever gas came out of the <laughs> um but there uh, i looked at the the charts for all the outer planet discoveries every one of them has the moon and scorpio oh <gasps> no what that means exactly but every single one yeah look at them uh neptune pluto and uranus 
Well, you have the moon in Scorpio, so you're supposed to understand, right? It means you can empathize uh, with all with the that, other planets, right? <laughs> I guess. It maybe it has something, you know, I don't know, something to do with looking outside of the established container, if you will, but yeah. uh, all fallen planets are in planets in detriment. They're, you know, they're operating outside the bounds of, of the expectations of that planet. Right. In some way. But uh, I, don't, I don't even know. I can see how the moon in Scorpio would be a good, possibly a good prophet because, you know, highly intuitive picks up on little details of everything. Yeah. Um, the problem is that, you know, you need a good filtration system to figure out what of that is actually relevant. Right. You can also just be being paranoid and anxious about minor things, blowing them out of proportion. That's true. And prophets tend to not be very well received a bit like the moon in Scorpio. I mean, uh, there's a reason yeah. why, why Cassandra is a word that I don't know if everyone knows, yeah. but a lot of people do. Yeah. Well, that's um, why, why Nostradamus uh, veiled his quatrains in like such cryptic language because the Inquisition was active and he, you know, he didn't want to get burned alive. Oh, of course. He's like, I'm not a prophet. He said it over and over again. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. And yet he published a book called Prophecies. Oh, my goodness. Like, well, what are you if you're... <laughs> I wrote a book of prophecies that does not make me a prophet. Huh. Well, I mean, this does explain with, you know, your moon and Scorpio, why you don't want to be predicting anything today. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's must the be thing the reason, is... right? I don't know if it's the reason. I think, I don't know, it could be, <laughs> you could point to Saturn too, maybe if you want. I don't know. There's something about it where I guess I don't fully trust my emotional reactions to things, which can yeah. be for valid reasons because they can be out of proportion sometimes. Um, but sometimes I pick up on stuff that, you know, that would maybe go under the radar for other people. It's just maybe not, it's just not always knowing, you know, which of those things. Um, what is actually what just because you feel something strongly doesn't mean it's true. Absolutely. Actually, we were, um, my friend and I, my friend, Joe, Joji, uh, was yeah. on astrology hotline recently. And we were talking about which planet rules astrology. And, you know, traditionally it's Mercury. Right. But, uh, other planets have been sort of given that, that label, but we ended up just going through all the planets and sort of talking about their approach to astrology and uh, talking about the moon and its approach to maybe not, you know, astrology, but like divination in general. And it's that very intuitive approach yeah. where you're not looking at all the details. Um, mm -hmm. You are, are you sort of taking the details and then just sort of let them sit and be emojinate, which is not a real mm -hmm. word, but uh, <laughs> sort of, you know, um, emulsify internally and, and, see what you know you feel you feel into the chart uh, right. like with tarot you know you do um mm -hmm. you, you look at the cards and you kind of pick out what what grabs you and you know lean into that right but it's not like a mathematical delineation with the moon it's like a an impression which can be a lot you know your mm -hmm. conscious could be putting stuff together in ways that your conscious mind can't and 
you're just like, ah, I got something here. And if you trust it, then, you know, it may be, may be true. How do you know?